Hallelujah. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. Tonight, we want to conclude the message to the churches. We have seen the messages to the church in Tatira in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 19, we studied about the message to that church. And they receive a commendation for their love, their faith, and their service to God. But they also were a church that was also compromising immorality. And so the Lord told them to repent. We also saw the church in Sardis. They were effective. They loved the Lord. But they were very superficial. They were not deep in the things of God. They too, they were tolerating a few things which the Lord hated. And they were told to wake up and repent. Then we look at the church in Laodicea. And for them, they had no commendation at all from the Lord. They were lukewarm. And the Lord said they need to be earnest and repent. And then we saw the church in Ephesus. They were hardworking. They persevered. But they had forsaken their first love. And Jesus told them to remember where they were from and to repent from their wicked ways. And then we saw the church in Pergamon. They were true to the faith. However, they too, they tolerated compromise in the church. Compromising doctrine and, doc and compromising immorality. And so they were also asked to repent. Now, all these churches, the Lord has something against them. For Laodicea, there was nothing good to be said at all. For them, their riches made them think that they don't need anything. But Jesus said that they have even sacked him out of his own church. And he was knocking at the door of their heart in the verse number 20 of chapter 3. So, in these teachings, we have shared with you that this is a message of Jesus Christ to the churches that are existing now. The churches that were and the churches that are now. And the rest of the events from chapter 4 in the book of Revelation to the chapter 22 are events that will happen after the church of Jesus Christ had been raptured from the church, uh, from the earth. And so that is the key to understanding the lessons in the book of Revelation or understanding the book itself. That chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ Chapter 2 and 3 are the information and instructions to the churches that are existing now. And then chapter 4 to chapter 22 are events that will happen after the church has been taken from the earth. And the church will be in heaven with the Lord for those seven years. And then the Antichrist will show himself and so many other events will happen on the face of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, this Jesus Christ we are talking about is real. He's alive. He came on this earth for 33 years. He died, was buried. He rose again from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Bible says, whilst they looked at him in the book of Acts chapter 1, he ascended up to heaven. He said he's coming back again according to John 14. And he's going to come back again. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. And this evening, we are looking at the message to the churches. The two churches that remain. The church of Philadelphia and the church of Smyrna. The church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. I want us to turn our Bibles to Revelations chapter 2 and the verse number 12. Sorry, number 8. Revelations chapter 2 verse 8. 
Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. The Bible says, To the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So this tells you, if, if Jesus is giving such a message, this is one of the scriptures to prove that he's not dead and that he's alive. He says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last. Who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. One striking thing about Jesus, which I've been emphasizing throughout this teaching, was that he introduces himself based on the condition of the people and their circumstance so they can understand the context of his introduction. And then he goes on consistently to say, I know your works. I know what you are going through. I know what you are passing through. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Ladies and gentlemen, these two churches we are treating tonight were the only churches that were never condemned. Jesus had nothing evil to say about them, had nothing against them. The rest of the five churches we have studied, all of them, he says, for, for four of them, he will say, you, you are serving, you are committed, but I have this against you. All of them. But when it came to our people from Laodicea, he didn't say they have anything good for him at all. For him, he has so many things against them. But the rest of the churches, the five of them, he has something against them. It is only these two churches, the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia, where the churches that must be commended. Jesus commended them and recommended them. Ladies and gentlemen, these two churches are the churches we must copy. This is the model church of Jesus Christ for us to copy. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. There are good things in those other churches that were commended for their sacrifice, their labor, even in the midst of persecution. But then they compromise something. Jesus is looking for persecution, no compromise. He's looking for dedicated servants of Christ. People, men and women, young and old, who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him, whether they are rich or poor. That poverty or riches has no connection to the level of their dedication to please their master Jesus Christ. He says these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Amen. Yet you are rich. Hallelujah. Yet you are rich. You see, Smyrna was about 25 miles north of Ephesus. And it was also called the port of Asia because it had an excellent harbor. And the church in this city struggled with two major enemies. Hostile forces. Jewish, a Jewish population who are opposed to Christianity and then a non-Jewish population that worshipped idols and especially they promote emperor worship. That is the Roman government. They are loyal to Rome and they promote emperor worship. 
And so persecution and suffering was inevitable in a climate and an environment like Smyrna. It was not an easy territory. But Jesus said to the church there, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Ladies and gentlemen, when we serve God, all may not be rosy. It is important to understand that Christianity is about the salvation of the soul of lost humanity. All other things are just fringe benefits, but they are not the main things. They are things that can be added unto us when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Christianity is first of all to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things, all these things, all the things we worry about in this world will be added unto us. Some may be added in excess. Some may be added in little bits. Some may not be added at all. And whether we are rich or poor, we must not stop focusing on the main thing. Jesus Christ. Worshipping him in truth and in spirit. And placing value on the things of the kingdom of God, whether we are rich or poor, whether we have built houses or we don't have houses, whether we are persecuted or not, whether we are married or not, whether we have children or not, these things, frankly, don't matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. We are to seek the kingdom first. This is the definition of the Christian that Jesus came to die on the cross for. Now, I need to emphasize that because I want you to understand that before Jesus went to the cross, there were rich people on the earth. So you see, if Jesus came just to give us wealth, then he didn't need to die because there were people who were already wealthy. In fact, one of the people that followed him, before the person became a follower of Jesus, he was already rich. His name was Joseph from Arimathea. He was a rich man. Nicodemus was wealthy and a very high-class man already. There were rich people that followed. In fact, the Bible says there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He wasn't born again. He was already rich. So there were a lot of people that were rich. They had sheds and shoes. They had wives, etc. When Jesus went to the cross, if he only had to go to the cross, so you will get a wife and get a husband, and get a child, and get a shoe and shirt, that's too cheap. That's too cheap for him to go to the cross for, because those things were already available on the earth. Unsafe people already have them. The main thing must be the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus died on the cross for the salvation of human beings. And when you are saved, you must hold on to your salvation so that you don't crucify the son of God the second time and appear to be ungrateful to the work that Christ sacrificed for you. It means that all these riches in this world will not take us to heaven. If they do, Christ didn't need to come and die on the cross. All the gold in the world, all the oil in the world, all the aircraft in the world, all the wealth in the world, they don't matter. 
Your soul is more expensive. And that is what caused the life of the son of God to come for. So our priorities should be on that. All these things, they are other things that will be added. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason why the scripture says these other things shall be added is because after they are added and we have enjoyed them only in this life, we will all leave this earth and none of us will take these things with us. None. 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 I mean, just last weekend, Prince Philip was buried. When the man was alive, for the 99 years he was alive, he, he, he drove the best cars. He lived in the most wonderful palaces and places. He was served by thousands, etc. Did you notice one remarkable thing at the funeral? Especially in the church. All his medals, all his awards were all placed and displaced and, and displayed, sorry, displayed right at the, at the altar. It, was, it wasn't buried with him. It's a clear sign is left behind. It's left behind. He loved his Land Rovers. None. The best one could do was to convey the coffin to the door of the church. Just to the courtyard. That's it. But it can't be buried with him. That whole scenario is a very important and powerful message to us. To understand that despite the palace, just look at where he lived and died. The palace he lived in, just the Windsor Castle alone, is several rooms there. This is my father's house, there are many mansions. This one was a mansion. Buckingham Palace has over 600 bedrooms. <laughs> oh, this friend. Maddie, you have not been dealing with Madeline, you have not been dealing with Siri. I told you to be dealing with Siri for me. Siri is disturbing me here. Madeline, you haven't done your assignments. Look, she's still talking. She's still talking. She's still talking. Madeline, silence Siri for me. Hallelujah. All right, let's go on. Now, so I'm telling you about Prince Philip. Could you try again? My God, this guy is just disturbing me. <laughs> he doesn't want me to talk about Prince Philip. <laughs> All right, let's go on. Right, I've dealt with it now. Um, okay, so I was sharing with you on the fact that what is important is salvation. The human soul, that is the most important and relevant thing. All other things will be added unto us. And even if the Lord does not add them, that should not change your service of Jesus Christ. Jesus should be the focus of every Christian. Amen. Now the Bible says, he says to them that I know your works. I know your afflictions. And your poverty. Yet you are rich. They have been going to afflictions. Because of the environment. That the church in Smyrna has been planted in. It is a very powerful center. But there is idol worship there. There is emperor worship. Now emperors were worshipped. Now if you fail to worship an emperor. You are in trouble with the Roman government. You will be killed. People were thrown to lions. And so these people. Were committed to Christ. They stayed true to their calling. And he says, I know your poverty. Now, if you serve God in some of this environment, some of the benefits of state will not be advanced towards you. There, there are certain people that were, were not giving certain things because of their faith. Because of their commitment and their faith. I do remember some years ago, I needed some help. My uncle is in a position to help. <laughs> when I went to him, he said he didn't have anything to give to me. 
when I left, he told other members of the family, since I said that the gods of the family are useless gods, he can't give any royalty from the family lands and stool lands money that comes in. He can't give that to me. I should go away and let my God help me. My God truly helped me. I said, my God truly helped me. Some years later, the stone the builders rejected became the head of the corner. And so I believe that these people in this place, whilst they continue to serve God in the midst of opposition, in the midst of challenges and trials, Jesus said, much as they were poor, in the spirit, they are very rich. Hallelujah. And then he says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and they are not. But they are a synagogue of Satan. He's describing what this church is going through. They have still been faithful. They are preaching the gospel. They are living a holy life. They have been denied privileges because they have affirmed their faith in Christ. Others have compromised in order to get state benefits. They have decided to honor the emperor and to worship other gods. But this group of Christians, this church, the believers in this church, have none of them have compromised. None of them have compromised. And he says, some of the things they go through is slander. Slander. To speak evil of someone with the intention of destroying their reputation so that those who used to honor them, respect them, and regard them, would disregard them and would dishonor them. Is to destroy their reputation that those who respect them will no longer respect them. It is lies about someone's image and you know that what you are saying is not true but that is the slander the jesus said i know the slander that goes on by the jews by people who claim to be jews who are not jews see these these are another set of enemies they they know that the apostles were jews and so some of these people have only have to circumcise themselves to prove that they are jews but most of them were not jews that's why Paul said, some people are preaching Christ out of envy, out of jealousy to put us into trouble. Oh, Paul. Paul suffered a lot. And that is a Christian. He said that some people started preaching. Some people found their churches. Not that they are born again. Not that they are called of God. But because they know that there is a state law that says that nobody should go to church, that there should not be churches and there should not be preachers, they intentionally found their churches so that when people see the church, they will remember it is Paul and they'll go and attack Paul. Paul said some people preached so as to put him into trouble, even though they are not born again. Now, the Bible says that there was a group of people who were not Jews, but they claimed to be Jews. And they were bringing false doctrines into the church to disturb the people of God to attack the church and the Bible says Jesus said I have seen the slander you suffer ladies and gentlemen this evening as you serve Jesus faithfully you will be slandered if you serve Jesus faithfully you'll be falsely accused it is part of the persecution of true Christians amen and he says but they are a synagogue of Satan what a harsh reference and this is Jesus describing people like this synagogue of satan they are centers by which satan operates that means that these are people who are being used by the devil to attack the church persecutions come from satan they don't come from god and satan will cause believers 
to be thrown into prison and killed. And that is what was going on here. But according to Jesus, believers don't need to be afraid of this. That is why he introduced himself by saying, I am the first and the last who died and came to life. So don't be afraid of death because if they kill you, I will raise you back to life. If they kill you, you are not totally dead. You are not totally gone. Because Jesus said, when I send you, there will be persecutions. But don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but they are not able to kill the soul. But be afraid of him who is able to destroy both soul and spirit in hellfire. God Almighty, by the power of his son, is saying to the church here, I know you are very, very rich because you are still preaching. The more souls you win, the more richer you become. The more souls you win because souls are more expensive than the total sum of the riches of the world. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So Jesus said to them, I know the slander you have been going through. And I know that the synagogue of Satan is also working against you. But do not be afraid, verse 10, of what you are about to suffer. Listen, they are already suffering. And he's telling them, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. That is Christianity. When we preach and tell people, come to Jesus, all shall be well. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not a true gospel. The true gospel is, come to Jesus Christ and do his will. Full stop. Let him take care of all the other things, good, bad, or ugly. Sometimes in Christian work, the life can be very rough and tough. It doesn't mean God is not with you. It comes with the territory. You know, he said something, Peter said to him, that we have left all and followed you. What shall we get? I think Mark 10.30. Jesus said to him that anyone who has left houses, father, mother, brothers, sisters, wives, and lands for my sake, shall in this world also receive brothers, sisters, etc. with persecutions. Jesus also said that my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. In this world, you shall have persecutions. Now, so the Bible says, this church, they were already going through sufferings and persecutions and afflictions. They are being denied a lot of things. In fact, some of them, their wealth was being plundered, taken away from them. And they were still holding on to their faith. And Jesus said, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. This is a prophetic book. When it says 10 days, it must be decoded. When he used the word 10, the number 10 refers to government. Wholeness. And that means that it's going to be a tough persecution. However, it will come to an end one day. Amen. Hallelujah. 10 days means that although persecution will be intense, it will be relatively short. Because there will be a beginning and an end of it. Ten days. There will be an end of it. It didn't say forever. There will be an end of it. The affliction you will go through for serving Jesus Christ. It will be for a moment that God David said. That many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord will deliver them out of them all. See one of the things about Christians is that we don't understand the message of suffering. And affliction in our Christian walk. 
when we mature in God, you need to understand this thing is not fanfare. This thing will come with persecution. It will come with afflictions. It will come with hatred. It will come with betrayal. It will come with all kinds of things. Sometimes things will be well. Sometimes things will not be well. But we need to understand our focus will not be the worldly material comfort. Our focus will be on our master and what he wants. Ladies and gentlemen, quote me anywhere. Christianity is about Christ and what he wants. Hallelujah. It is about Christ and what he wants. When Christ becomes our focus and we begin to understand him this way, sometimes when we see afflictions, we don't see the afflictions. We still see this master. So he said, that is why he said, I died and I came back to life. So when all these afflictions, don't be afraid of the worst thing. Death, I am the resurrection and the life. And you will suffer this for my sake. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison. And as we speak, the devil will attack many of us as we preach the gospel. Yeah, a lot of Christians have been persecuted even in our days. Now, this thing started years ago. It's still going on. Remember, this message is to the churches that are. That are. A lot of Christians have been persecuted. Christians have been killed in Nigeria. In northern Nigeria, they have been persecuted at the behest of the government. They are watching. They are killing Christians and abducting a lot of them. A lot of terrible things are going on. And in this day and age, even now, there are certain messages when you preach, you are going to get a lot of legal attacks. Satan is working all these things. But ladies and gentlemen, we must not be afraid to preach that which pleases the master Jesus Christ. He who has called you is faithful. Amen. He says, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution. Be faithful even to the point of death. Jesus said, be faithful even to the point of death. What kind of Christian are you? You see, the people in Smyrna, they were faithful even to the point of death. Some of you, you are not even faithful to the point of a bottle of alcohol. You are not faithful to the point of sexual temptations. You, you can't. Little pressure. Then you give in. Little pressure you give in to the bottle, to sex, to all kinds of things, to immorality, to corruption, to bribery, to wicked things, and all kinds of evil means to make it at all costs. Ladies and gentlemen, what is, what, what is that thing which we call we have made it? <laughs> Let's say, when you make Christ, you have made it. Amen. But all these things that will be left behind, they will be left behind. They are not a sign of making it at all. They are needed. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that we can be wealthy and rich. I believe that we can work hard and get all these things. But those things should not be the primary thing. Getting those things and not serving the Lord is a complete waste of time. And some people come to Christ with that understanding. So if the Lord is not providing as I want, then I want to backslide. I want to give up. I no longer want to go to church. I no longer want to serve this God. Probably it is not true. Why have so many sufferings going on in the world? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is still the Savior. He is still true. And we need to learn to walk with him and serve him. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. Hallelujah. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. 
What a promise. He's promised eternal life to those who hang, hang on to the end. He said, when persecution comes, even be faithful to me to the point of death. That means that it is possible that we can be persecuted to the point of death. The apostles died that way. They held on in faith. The people in Smyrna, all that was going on, they never gave up. What they went through, people in Pergamos went through the same thing. But Pergamos people compromised. They compromised the teaching of the word and compromised on their morality. The other churches, they too, they went through, but most of them compromised. But Smyrna, they stood firm. And Jesus came on to commend them to say, be faithful. Ladies and gentlemen, the message from Jesus is that we need to be faithful to the word of God. Faithful to the practice of the contents of the word of God. Faithful to teach people to know Jesus Christ. Faithful in our worship of Christ. Faithful to everything that God has said. Faithfulness to the end. Preach Christ. He says, whoever overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The first death is the death people die. And then that's when everybody will die, that death, physically from this body, die. And then the Bible tells us that after 1,000 years, when Satan has been bound and Christ returns physically and literally to the earth, because I've been teaching you that Jesus' second coming is in twofold. The first part is what we call the rapture. He will appear in the sky. And the Bible says those who are believers on the earth will suddenly change their bodies will change and they'll be caught up with jesus in the air this is going to happen it's not a myth it's not a fable it's a reality it will happen and then the bible says those who are christians who have died and they have been buried the bible says their bodies will change and they will also resurrect and they'll be caught up with christ together with the believers in the air and they'll be with the lord for seven years now whilst they are there with the lord for seven years the bible says that then jesus christ will will we'll return after the seventh year and then Satan will be bound and arrested and then he will be put in the bottomless pit at the end of the seventh year and he will be there for 1,000 years and then after which he will be released to go out to the world and deceive some further nations and then there will be a battle and Jesus will return and deal with him and Satan will now be caught together with the Antichrist and the false prophets and all demons and powers of darkness wherever they are and whoever they are the Bible says the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels but any other human being then who is not born again when they die during this 1,000 years whilst believing Believers will be enjoying with Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and will be ruling and reigning with Christ. The Bible says those who are unbelievers, who don't know Jesus Christ, they will still be buried for that thousand years. And then after the thousand years, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, there will be the great white throne judgment. And all persons, everyone that have been ever created will appear before the judgment throne of God. And the Bible says the books will be opened and there will be the book of life opened and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire this is the second death they will be cast into the lake of fire and they will be there eternally dead forever and ever and ever they will be with the devil in that place the Bible says that the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them and all of them both death and hell and Satan 
and all unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. According to Jesus, those believers, those who are Christians, who believe in him, who will be faithful to the end in the face of persecution, in the face of accusations, in the face of their service of Christ, powers of darkness attacking and harassing them, all kinds of bewitchment and sorcery against the church, against the ministry, against your Christian work, when temptations come, still pursue Christ follow Christ, serve him faithfully, he says those who would do so and overcome the temptations and the persecutions, he says they will not be harmed by the second death. That means that they will survive it. That means that they will make it to his kingdom and they won't go into the lake of fire. In the name of Jesus, the church in Smyrna was a beautiful church. It was a strong church, but they understood pain and they went through pain. Hallelujah. And Jesus commended them for their suffering. He said, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Can you imagine that Jesus comes to the church and looks at you and says, you, you are poor for my sake. Congratulations. You are going through afflictions for my sake. Congratulations. We don't want that. Sometimes you bind and God won't let it be bound. He wants you to go through it. It's part of the calling. Christians today must understand this. Most of the churches that were planted by missionaries, they went through afflictions. They went through persecution. Some died for their faith. Some were, were, were shot. Some of them that went to Africa. The indigenous people then didn't know who they are. Whatever these guys are looking white and coming. They just fired spears at them and killed some of them. David Livingston and all those people were attacked. They was attacked by a lion in East Africa. Sometimes you need to read some of these things. And see, and he was such a great missionary to the point that they have brought his body to be buried in the UK, but his heart has been buried in Africa. His heart has been buried there. His heart was there. He's, he went through raw. I mean, today you have got cars and nice protections too. They were moving in the jungle, coming against hyenas and wild beasts just to translate scripture and to preach the gospel. And you wonder where was God when the lion was attacking him? The lion tore his back, but he continued preaching the gospel. And today, when you have churches in East Africa and South Africa, a man called David Livingston left his beautiful European country and went there in the name of Jesus Christ and preach the gospel. Today we are relaxed in carpet auditoriums <laughs> and we are excited that we are doing the work of the Lord. What are you suffering? And when people gossip a little bit about you, you can't sleep. <laughs> you are joking. Paul would have preferred gossip than beatings to the beatings that he received. Ladies and gentlemen, if you follow Jesus, you will be beaten. If you follow Jesus, you will be attacked. But Jesus said, continue to trust me and believe me. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. This is Christianity. And in our days, persecution is coming at some levels. I am speaking as a prophet of God. And I'm declaring to you the church is about to face the greatest level of persecution that it has never ever seen in this 21st century. There will be persecutions from government, legislations to hinder even the preaching of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Where would you stand? You haven't even started preaching. You haven't even seen persecution. And you are hiding. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus looked at the church in Smyrna and said, I commend you for the afflictions you are enduring for my sake. Then he went on to say, be faithful for what you are about to suffer. Jesus, I thought you were coming to say this is the end. You are getting mansions. I receive it. You are getting shoes. I receive it. You are getting husband. I receive it. You are getting wife. I receive it. Getting persecution. No. 
<laughs> this is what we want. We want, I receive and I claim. I receive and I claim Christianity. It's, it's one level. It's one level. But I tell you, the deep thing, the main thing is about Jesus Christ and our service of him. That's what makes us Christians. And Smena was commended for that. May our churches be like the church in Smena. In the name of Jesus. And then he said to them, I will give you the crown of life. In the verse number 10. And the reason why he used it was because Smyrna itself was also known for its athletic games. It was also like the Olympic center. It was, it was a sports center. And the nation itself was a very powerful sports center. And so they will understand what crown means. There, there is a victory wreath that is awarded or given to the victorious person. The athlete that became victorious. So that's why he said to them, when you become faithful... You'll be given a crown so they understand what crown is. When Jesus is talking to anybody, he speaks to them in their context. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. So the message to the Smyrna church was to remain faithful during their suffering because God is in control and his promises are reliable. So he told them that I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last of everything. You won't lose. He didn't say to them that by being faithful, you avoid troubles. When you serve Jesus, there will be persecution. There will be suffering. There will be troubles. But he says, be faithful even in your sufferings. Be faithful even in your sufferings. And that is the only way to prove that your faith is genuine. Your faith can't be said to be genuine when the faith only claims blessings. Your faith will be assessed to be genuine when in the face of persecution... Lack and want and poverty, you still serve the Lord Jesus Christ and hold on to your faith regardless of what you are offered. Whatever you are offered, so long as it will compromise your service of Jesus Christ, you need to reject it and be faithful to Christ. This is how our faith is tested. Ignatius of Antioch, these were fathers in the faith. Some of them were bent to death. And they continued to hold on to their faith. Whilst they were being bent, they believed Christ. They held on. Said, I would prefer to die than to bow down to a Roman emperor who is a human being. Hallelujah. And you saw that same faith in those four Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel. They refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar and the idol he has made. And he said, even if our God will not save us, we will still not bow. And when they went through the fire, the Lord showed himself in their midst. I came to call you to that place of genuine Christian conduct in this complicated, sinful, adulterous generation that we find ourselves in. May you shine like the stars of God in the midst of a crooked world. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. So we must be faithful to keep our eyes on Christ and his promises. In Jesus' name. Persecution is what was commended here. Let's look at the church in Philadelphia. Not the one in America. Not Philadelphia in America. <laughs> this is the original Philadelphia. And you notice something remarkable. Uh, you see the same thing. To the church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3. Verses 7 to 13. 7 to 13. 
to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. The angel of the church is the pastor of the church. Then to the members of the church and to the whole congregation. Three levels. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. What an introduction. Hallelujah. Now, Philadelphia was founded by the citizens of Pergamos. And it was a community that was built as a gateway to the central parts of Asia. You know, sometimes you see certain countries like Ghana describes itself as the gateway to West Africa. <laughs> so this country, Philadelphia, was the gateway to the rest of Asia. And they really love their city. But it's a major gate. It's a powerful city. It's a wonderful place that have been built. And there were also sacrifices to some gods and idols in that place. And then Jesus comes in to introduce himself as the one who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David? A direct, a direct reference to Isaiah 22, 22, where he says that I also give the key of David. Whatever he opens, no one can shut. And whatever he locks, no one can also unlock it. And when he introduced himself to this way, when he says the key of David, it represents Christ's authority to open the door of invitation to his kingdom. He carries the authority that opens the door of invitation to his kingdom. And after the door is opened, no one can close it. Hallelujah. In other words, when the door of salvation is open, he's the one that has the key to the door of salvation. When he opens it and salvation is established, no one can close it. Hallelujah. Salvation is assured. When we are saved, our assurance of salvation is what keeps us going because Satan will keep on coming to tell you, are you sure you are born again? Are you sure you are saved? We need that assurance of salvation. And so he holds the key to salvation. And when he opens that door and we come in and we become saved, we are assured no one can take it back. Then he says, once this door is also closed, no one can actually open it. In other words, judgment is certain. Hallelujah. After we are saved and the door is closed. You see the parable of the, seven virg uh, the ten virgins. Five wise and five foolish. Now the door was closed. He said, yes, you can't come in. They kept knocking. He said, it's over. It's, it's over. You are late. When, 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 when judgment is guaranteed, when salvation door, these days we are living in, these are all days that the door of salvation is open. It's being preached through the gospel message. And very soon, it will be closed. And when it is closed, there is nothing anybody who is not born again can do about it. Judgment will be setting. And so that was the introduction that he introduced himself as the one who is holy and true, who is carrying this key to open things and to shut things. Then he says, I know your works. See him again, verse 8. Jesus says, I know your deeds. This, this evening, don't forget that all these seven messages you have heard, he says, I know what you are going through as a church. 
I know what you are going through as a pastor and I know what you are going through as a member of the church, as a Christian on your own. He knows what you have been going through in your service of him. He knows what you are going through, your deeds in your service of him. It's not that you are going through some unemployment. No, that's not what he knows. He knows that one too. But what he's recommending here is what you are going through in your service of him. I know your deeds. Then he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. This is the commendation of this church. A church that keeps the word of the Lord. And does not deny the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. This is what a Christian is supposed to be. Keep the word of the Lord. That means practice the word. Now keeping the word doesn't mean you holding it and not utilizing it. Keeping the word means that you are practicing and living by the word. That's when the scripture says you are keeping my word. And then it says, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. These are two important things that Christians must practice. It is one of the parameters that define your Christianity. Keeping the word of God, practicing it in secret and in public. And then not denying the name of the Lord. Many of us deny the name of the Lord in many ways. Sometimes we look at among our friends, and then we, we, we think that they'll make fun of us. So we, when they say, are you a Christian? They say, no. Are you one of these born again Christians and, and, and you are not bold to say, yes, I am born again. In the workplace, you are not bold to say that. When people are speaking against the church and against Christianity and you are not able to defend it, Sometimes people who are not born again come around and they want to speak against the church and the house of God. And you are sitting there and watching them. You must never be shy of anybody. Anybody who doesn't qualify to speak against the church. You must resist them by speaking the truth of the word of God. You must challenge them to the core. Don't let people run around freely and say things and escape with it. Don't say, I don't want to cause any trouble. You, the person is causing trouble. The person is causing you trouble. The person is saying things that may shake your faith. The person is saying, saying things that maybe you will know God, but the, the ears of an immature believer may hear that, and that statement will rather cause the person to backslide. You must be a defender of the faith and defend the name of Christ. There's a generation these days who keep on attacking Christ and saying that Christianity came from Europe, and Africans who follow Christianity are stupid. Don't let test statements run freely. Defend Christ Jesus. You must know your faith to defend Jesus. He said, don't deny my name. Don't deny my name. You know, the Lord, Jesus, the Lord said in the Ten Commandments, he says that you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Who takes his name in vain. He didn't say you shall not mention the name of the Lord thy God in vain. A lot of people have misconstrued that scripture. He didn't say, so when you say Jesus, 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 you are taking his name in vain. No, 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 that's not it. You, you have taken the name of the Lord. He didn't say you have mentioned. You have taken. That means you are called by that name. Now when you are called by his name, because you are married to the Lord. You are called by his name. And when you are called by his name. You don't do things that will make people question the Christ in you. If you are called by the name of the Lord, you can't be walking in sin. When you are walking in sin, you have taken the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that's why I say the Lord will not hold you guiltless. I mean, if you know families, 
If you are called by the family name, you are supposed to protect the family name. You can't go about and be creating problems for the family. The family will call you to a meeting. The family name will be protected. They will fight to protect the family name. And so the Lord God will also not allow anyone to take his name in vain. When you are called by the name of the Lord, you must be walking worthy of the name of the Lord. For the name of the Lord is holy. That's why when you are ordained into the ministry, the title reverend, you take it. So people are happy to, people are in a rush to add reverend to their name. The name reverend occurs only once in the Bible. And it is the name of the Lord. It says holy and reverend is his name. So when you are called Reverend James and Sisaki, you must behave reverently. Are you here? You cannot be called Reverend and behave irreverently. You are called by the name of the Lord. And whenever you say you are a Christian, you find out that out of the nine letter word Christian, six of that is the name of the Lord. Christ. Christ. You are a Christian. Christian. Like the way you have... American, Ghanaian, Nigerian, Bokinabe, Canadian. Why well, you can't say Swedunian? Swedunian. how do you say you from Swedish Swedunian? <laughs> Hallelujah. You are called by the name of the Lord. He said, You have kept my name. This evening, determine to keep the name of the Lord. Defend the name of the Lord and keep his word. Amen. Let's go on. He said, you have not denied my name. Whenever you are born again and you are walking in sin, you are denying the name of the Lord. He said to the church here, they have seen persecution, but they have not denied his name. Even Peter denied. <laughs> Peter denied. Peter saw what was going on. He denied. I will make those of you, those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Have you seen this synagogue of Satan? It was in Smyrna. It's in Philadelphia. Satan agents. They are attacking the church. He says, when you don't deny my name and you keep my word, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not. Have you seen the same usage? The same enemy in Smyrna. It's the same enemy in Philadelphia and these two churches are still standing. But they are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Who does the Lord love? Those who keep his word and who don't deny his name. I keep the word and I don't deny his name. May this be your slogan and motto. That as a Christian from this evening I stand in Jesus name. I will keep the word of the Lord and I will not deny his name. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. Have you seen this church again? They too they have been enduring. They have been facing attacks. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon, verse 11. Hold on to what you have so that no one would take your crown. Hold on to what you have. You don't know what you have. That's why I said you have little strength, but you have not denied my name. Sometimes all that you have is your strength. 
Maybe it may not be any big thing, but the little thing you have, still hold on in Christ. Hold on in Christ. He says, you have kept my commandment to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour to come. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So that no one will take your crown. There is a crown for you from the Lord himself, a reward from the Lord. In Revelation, it says, behold, I'm coming very soon. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according as his faith shall be. According as his work shall be. He said he's coming. And he has a reward, a crown. No one should take your crown. That means it's possible you may lose your crown. If you don't hold on. But this church, they were commended. He didn't say, I have anything against you. He said, you are doing well. You have little strength. You have little resources. You have little money as a church. But you are still serving God and holding on in faith. You may not have abundance. Sometimes you say, oh, but me, I don't have any gift." Every one of us, we have some gifts, some talents, some abilities. Use it to serve God. It may not be big. It may, whatever it is, God, Jesus is saying, whatever you have, hold on to it and use it to serve me. You may not know how to sing, but you know how to arrange chairs. You may not know how to sing, but you know how to smile to people and welcome them and join the ushering department and get them in. But whatever be, you must also be willing to speak to somebody to become born again. In your own way. You don't need a degree to bear witness that Jesus Christ is the savior of your life. Because Jesus has saved you. You can share your faith. Amen. He says that, so no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes. In all these seven messages, we are told anyone who overcomes. Whatever they are struggling with, they are told when you overcome. These ones, they have survived. And he's telling them, continue to hold on and overcome the temptation. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. See, in this very city of Philadelphia, there are many, many temples dedicated to deities, shrines, and satanic gods. But whatever happens, you find out, for instance, in Philadelphia, there were earthquakes and just like as some of you could see today, when you go to some of those places in, in Turkey, in, in, um, yes, in Turkey, in Greece, you still see remnants of ancient buildings and especially temples. What you see significantly are the pillars still standing. The rest of the buildings are falling, but the pillars are standing. He says, I will make you a pillar. In the house of the Lord my God. I will make you an eternal presence. You will not fall. You will not fail. You will be planted in my house. This is their promise to those who hold on. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem. Which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. You receive a new identity. You'll be marked with the mark of God. And you'll be a pillar in the temple, in the house of God. You'll be a significant personality within the house of God, in heaven, with Christ. What a promise. These are the blessings for the church. This is the original blessing. Smyrna and Philadelphia are getting it. And it says that that new Jerusalem, there will be a new Jerusalem, according to uh, the scriptures in, in Revelations chapter 21. Verse 2, 
that there will be a new Jerusalem that will descend from heaven. And it will be the new, that is what is called the bride of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And it says, from my God, and I also write in my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Tonight I pray for you that the Spirit of God will open your ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Glory be to Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. So the church in Philadelphia also held on to the word of God. They didn't deny the name of the Lord. And there were a lot of persecutions, things that will make them deny his name, but he didn't. They didn't. You see, Peter denied when he saw what was going to happen. He knew that what the pressure was going on there, if he says he knows Jesus, probably they may kill him. And he denied Jesus. A lot of people have denied Jesus by their lifestyle, by their conduct. But this evening, don't deny the Lord. Amen. He looks on and says, this is the kind of Christian I'm looking for. Those who will see persecution. And let me conclude by telling you that persecution, in these two churches who were commended, both of them received recommendation and commendation for their ability not to deny the name of the Lord, to walk according to the commands of God in the midst of persecution. And that summarizes the Christian walk. It is a walk of persecution. That's why Jesus said, I am sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. That tells you, if you throw a sheep in the midst of wolves, you, you have called for war. They're going to attack the sheep. Then it says, be wise like serpents. Many times, it's because of the kind of Christianity that is being preached these days. That is why people just think, this whole thing is about, I'm going to church, go to get born again, and so that I can also break through. Yes, it's good to break through, but it's not the main thing. It is the minor thing. The main thing is serving Christ. The main thing is dedicating your life to Christ. The main thing is keeping the commandments of this Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, and not denying his name. Don't let unbelievers question your morality. Don't let people get away and freely say things like, and they call themselves Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not give the enemy the chance. To attack the Lord. When we do so, we have denied the name of the Lord. We have abused the name of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to look at some few scriptures this evening. I have five scriptures to read to you and end the message today. Because you will see that the true church that Jesus loves, that Jesus commends, that Jesus claps for, that Jesus applauds, that Jesus congratulates, are these churches, Philadelphia and Smyrna. And all of them had synagogue of Satan in their locations and yet none of them denied the Lord. They continued to preach Christ and they continued to make more souls. That's why those in Smyrna were told they are very rich, even though they are poor physically. But they are rich because in the midst of challenges, being denied privileges of state. Can you imagine when they say benefits, state benefits like child benefits and things. Now they are going to say that if you are Christian, you are born again, you are preaching against all these other things that go on in our society. You are not going to be giving state benefits. Would you continue to serve God? So all those churches that are preaching the right gospel and blasting sin and all those homosexuality that you are blasting, you are no longer getting gift aid. Would we still preach these things? Say, no, you are not getting all this charity status. Would we carry on? 
See, this is what was going on in Smyrna and Philadelphia. They withdrew state benefits for the people. And Jesus still said, carry on. Be faithful. You will suffer many things, but carry on. This is the true work of God. All the apostles suffered. Please look at the scriptures. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. Nothing great is achieved without pains and labor. It is said that the growth of the church, the seeds of the church, are watered with the blood of the martyrs of the church. Somebody had to die for something to take place. See, George Floyd had to die for there to be changes to regulations and legislation. Somebody had to die in everything. Sacrifice is a powerful thing. Today's Christians don't want to hear the word suffering and sacrifice. Let me tell you, by the word of the living God, I believe in the anointing. I believe in breakthrough. All those things. But I'm telling you, they are not the main thing. When we sacrifice, breakthrough will come. But let us not change it the other way. I've seen many people who just don't want to know anything about sacrifice for God and church and ministry. But they are looking for breakthrough. They are just like Naaman, the Syrian. When Elijah said, Elijah said, go and dip yourself. He said, oh, I thought when he comes, he would just slap my body and call the name of his God. He's looking for easy way. Easy way. Christ did not go through the cross an easy way. You, a servant of Christ, will never go through an easy way. But in the midst of all this, his defense is there. His provision will be there. His supply will be there. But the work of the Lord, the service of God, in the pursuit of pleasing Christ, it will come with persecutions. And when you see those things, don't compromise. Don't. Some of them were denied many things. But Smyrna stood. And Philadelphia stood. And church, it wasn't church, the church building. All the members, 100%. 100% of all congregation in the city of Philadelphia were commended for heaven. Throughout. And this is the kind of church Jesus is looking for. Please, First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. I'll read it very quickly. Beloved, this is, being, this is coming from Apostle Peter. This is a man of God. He walked with Jesus. He, he, he saw Elijah and Moses. When they went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he has seen stuff. He denied Jesus. Jesus forgave him. He preached on the day of Pentecost. He received the Holy Ghost baptism. He spoke in tongues. He preached. 3,000 people got saved. That's Peter. He, he raised cripples and he brought Dorcas back from the dead. This is the man we are talking about. And he being used by God mightily. Peter's shadow. His shadow could be healing the sick. This man anointed of God. He met Jesus. He ate with him. He held him. This man is preaching here. Please listen to him. He said, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He was writing to the church. He told them, don't think it will be a strange thing when you go through trials. Christianity is full of trials. As though some strange thing is happening to you. <laughs> that means it is part of the package. When you see it, don't think it's a strange thing. It's not a strange thing. It's time we grow and mature to understand these things. But rejoice. How do I rejoice in the midst of pain? He said rejoice because your faith should be in him who died and rose again. And who is ever present with you. 
He said, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. You are a partaker of it. So that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you are abused for the name of Christ, if you are mocked for the name of Christ, if you are beaten for the name of Christ, blessed are you, hey, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Because the spirit of glory and of God is resting on you, it will attract persecution. The anointing also attracts Satan. Remember, the first visitor to Jesus after he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights was not an angel. It was Satan. The anointing also attracts the devil. The anointing attracts persecution. The more anointed you are, the more persecutions will come. Some people just think that when a church grows and big, the senior pastor is relaxing. No, he faces levels of satanic attacks at that level. Yeah. There are some big, big churches you hear about. You think that they have arrived. They haven't. You don't know. You just sit down with their senior pastor. You see what he'll tell you. He's going through some level. They are the ones that are attacked in the media. <laughs> we, we are coming there. They, they are the ones that are attacked in the media. <laughs> you sleep. You, they are saying all kinds of things. See, things that you don't know about. They are even saying it about you. It's part of the work. He says, the devil will, will recruit people. Synagogues of Satan. Now when you see attacks, you know that it's coming from some. Synagogues of Satan. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer. He says that we will go through suffering, but don't suffer as a murderer. It means that don't say that they are now taking you to court because you murdered someone. You mustn't be a murderer. If you murder someone, you are suffering. It's not part of the suffering of Christ. Let no one suffer as a thief. So don't go and steal. And when they catch you, you say they are persecuting me. When they saw that I am a Christian. Don't break road traffic regulations. And when a white policeman stops you, you say they are racist. Brother, did you follow 30 miles per hour? Or you were flying at 60 on the 30 mile per hour road. When they catch you, humble yourself and go through the suffering. But that one is not suffering for Christ. It is your own irresponsibility. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. When you go and gossip about people and they catch you and say, they are persecuting me for the sake of God. That, that one is your mouth. Your mouth that is being persecuted. It says, you must not suffer as a busybody in other people's matters. Some people, that is their speciality. As if they hold master's degree in other people's matters. Mind your own business. Serve the Lord. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, who is a Christian? The one that keeps the word of the Lord and the one that does not deny his name. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, when you go and preach the gospel, I told you some time ago, when to preach, they put urine on me, urine. That's suffering as a Christian for coming to preach. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? According to Peter, by the revelation of God, judgment will begin from the house of God. 
You are in the house of God. What have you been doing? Judgment will begin in the house of God. And he said, if it begins in the house of God, then as for those who are not born again, their matter will not be heard by any jury. No jury will be empaneled for them. For the time has come. And then he says, now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He says, when you are going through suffering as a Christian, proper Christian, he says, continue to be faithful and commit your ways to him. Please come, come to Luke chapter 21, verse 12 to 19. But before all these things, Jesus prophesied in the end times. Luke 21, 12 to 19. He says, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out as an occasion for testimony. I could spend another hour teaching on this. Uh, verse, verse 13, he says that when you are persecuted and you are brought before kings to be tried, you are brought before council officials to be tried, you are brought before officers, Use it as an occasion to preach Christ still in the midst of the place. Whatever be the case, when you are asked to speak, preach Christ. Say something about Jesus Christ. And Paul did that so excellently. Anytime he's brought before Agrippa, Festus, all those people, he will still say, I was on my way to Damascus. Whenever they bring the charge, he will still say something concerning his salvation and still preach Christ in the midst of the situation. When you are brought before any panel for the Christ you preach, for the Christ you serve, Make sure, he says, it is actually a divine plan. It's an occasion for testimony. Don't waste that opportunity. It may never come again. Use it and still affirm Christ in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. For I will give you, verse 14, therefore, settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Jesus said, I am sending these people to go and preach the gospel, but they will have adversaries, but he will give you a mouth. You will be betrayed. It's part of the suffering. You will be betrayed by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Church, this prophecy is coming from Jesus Christ himself. He says they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You will be hated for my name's sake. If, if, if you are not being hated because you are a Christian, check what kind of Christianity you have been professing. For you will be hated for my name's sake. You will be hated. But not a hair of your head will be lost. And by your patience, possess your souls. Your soul is a seat of your emotions. So he says that in the midst of suffering, Take control over your emotions and control yourself. Don't yield to sin. Don't say, I'm suffering too much. I want to now compromise this. Don't compromise the standards. Jesus Christ will honor you. He has a way of making a way out. When it's not time for you to die, you won't die. But the gospel must still be preached in the name of Jesus. Look at, look at, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 36. He says, but recall the former days. He's talking to Christians. And he's reminding them to recall the former days when they just became saved. He says, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, 
after you became born again, after you received the light of the kingdom, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. He said, this is a thing that went along with you as a Christian. See, we've read three scriptures. And we are seeing suffering is part of the package. You endured great struggle with sufferings. Verse 33, Hebrews 10, 33. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. He said they mocked at you with reproaches and tribulations. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Because you were supporting and standing with another man of God or a child of God, or true Christians, you were also persecuted for that. He said, all these things happened. For you had compassion on me in my chains. See, this one sounds like Paul. That's why I tell you. Hebrews was written by Paul. The theologians, that one, we can argue it at theological school, but Paul, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. He said, for you had compassion on me in my chains. Who talks like this? It's him. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Can you imagine this? They plundered the goods of believers. State officials will come and take their properties from their house for being Christians. And he said, they joyfully accepted it for the name of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen who are hearing me tonight, what can you endure for the sake of Christ? Your most prized possessions, if it has to be taken away for the sake of the fact that you are a Christian, would you endure it? As, as one great preacher said years ago, that if you were brought before a court of law and put on trial, for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? Let me repeat that. If you are arrested for being a Christian and put to court and brought on trial and you are charged for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian? Think about it. It says, therefore, don't cast away your confidence in the Lord, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise of God. Please come with me again to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verse number 10 to 12. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. This is Paul writing to his son Timothy and to the church in Ephesus. And he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. My manner of life, my purpose or mission, my faith, you have followed my long suffering. That means you suffer long. Love and perseverance. Verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch. This is a man of God called by God, saved under one of the most wonderful circumstances by Jesus Christ himself, confronting him on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. This man that Jesus himself converted, this man, he said, as part of his assignment, he said, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, not only at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, three places, what persecutions I endured. Do you see these scriptures telling you endure them, endure them. Don't run away from them. Don't give up. Continue. Sometimes you may be sent to start a church somewhere. When you go and start a church for the first time, people won't come. People won't come. It's, it's hard. It's hard. You feel like giving up. <laughs> there are times you go to church, you feel like crying. 
Feel like, what is all this that I put on myself? And why did I even accept this assignment? You feel like crying. It's, it's part of it. And then you hear ugly noises. People say, eh, eh, who does he think he is? Has God even called him? If God has called him, people should be coming to their church by now. But you endure it. You endure with fasting. You endure with prayer. You go out and continue to preach. You go out and share tracks. And you see that you return in the same tract you shared. Somebody has just thrown it into the bin. And you see the same tract. It's all part of it. And somebody's looking at you at the window and laughing. Quack, 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 quack. And you just feel like, oh, I don't want to go out again. And then you give out the tract and some people don't receive it. And you feel ashamed on the street. These are all things that you endure as you continue to do so. The land will be opening. The ground will be opening. Christ will still be preached in Jesus' name. He says that for in fact, verse 3, sorry, we haven't got, yeah, verse 12. Oh, sorry, I haven't finished the 11. Then it says, and out of them all. These persecutions he endured. The Lord delivered me. When is your, your time to die? As you sacrifice for the, the Lord will deliver you, keep you alive and make you continue to do so. And he will use you to still win souls in Jesus' name. Verse 12 is so important. Many people don't realize that. Yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. All the protons who are hearing me tonight, I want you to frame verse 12. Put it boldly in your rooms. Tie it on your body. You can stamp it on a t-shirt and wear it. All those who will live godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. So when you see persecution, it doesn't necessarily mean that God has left you. <laughs> it is part of the package. We need to understand that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Ah, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5. Afflictions. That's what Jesus was commending. This is what a church should be. They go through this and they never shake their faith. They continue to serve God. They continue to make themselves available to be used by God. No one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are appointed unto this. We have an appointment with affliction in our service of Christ. <laughs> for in fact, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we are on verse 4. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we will suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know it. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul said he was waiting. If you read the chapter before, the first Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, I desire to come, but Satan hindered us. Then he's getting worried about the church. That maybe as they see more afflictions and persecution, some will backslide. Some will backslide. Some will give away their faith. Some will go give away every precious thing that they have held on in righteousness for God. They will give it for a tin of Milo and Kenke and Brazilian hair and shoe and shirt and a car and iPhones. <laughs> he says... I didn't want, I don't know what, what will happen. So I sent Timothy to you to strengthen you in your faith that we are appointed to these things. Hey, glory be to Jesus. Finally, finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and then we'll read verse 3 to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then, 
as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain by allowing sin in your life. Verse 3, we give no offense in anything so that our ministry is not blamed. Verse 4, but in all things, in all things, in all things, good, bad, or ugly, in all things, whether in abundance or in poverty, in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. The plan of God is that every Christian will be a minister of God. Ephesians 4 tells us that God has given us pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists to provide equipment to the believers so that they will do the work of the ministry. So that those who do the work of the ministry are the ministers, you, the Christian. He says, we actually commend ourselves as ministers of God and look at in what ways. In much patience, not little patience, much patience. In tribulations, tribulation is the highest form of persecution. In needs, there will be seasons where you are in need as a child of God. Apostle of God, they were in need. That's why I say in all things I've learned to abase and to abound. When there's nothing, I know how to live. And I'm not going to get angry at God. I'll continue to go and preach. When I have abundance, I know how to live. That's what Paul said. I know how to abase and to abound. May we have Christians of today. Who even when you don't have anything, Christ is still so important to you. Your Christianity must not be tied to your breakthrough and excellence necessarily. It must be tied to Jesus Christ and all that he wants. He says, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, they go through distress. In stripes, please, we're not talking about zebra crossing stripes. These are beatings that leaves a mark on his skin. He's calling them stripes. By their stripes, by his stripes who were healed. It's not a painting. It is actually whips that tear the skin off and leave a mark there. In imprisonments, in tumults, that is uproars. We are preaching and suddenly they are coming, commotion. People have to run away for their lives. In labors, hard working, in sleeplessness. There are times you go days without sleeping for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> in fastings, by purity, verse 6, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, we survive all. As deceivers and yet true. He says people are saying he's a liar. But he knows he's, he's carrying the truth. Sometimes people say all kinds of things about you. And you, you look at it and wonder whether you are the one they are talking about. Because you yourself, you can't recognize yourself. But he says people will go and tell her you are a deceiver. And yet he says, but you are true. So you carry on. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As chastened and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet we possess all things. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. This is Christianity. In Jesus name. It goes with the territory. Suffering. And that is what Jesus commended. That there will be challenges. When our faith is tested. Would we be found to have passed it? Tonight, may we desire to be like Smyrna and desire to be like Philadelphia in the name of Jesus.